Hey everyone, welcome to Hard Fork Live. Uh, my name is Castro. I have Aaron with me, and we are your hosts for Hard Fork Live. We have a very special guest today, Jojo, uh, the founder of Castle Blackwater, a very interesting game with a really cool tokenomics and lore, and also the founder of Fair Play Collective, uh, Crypto, and Play to Earn Collective. Jojo, welcome to Hard Fork Live. How's it going, man? Thank you very much. I'm doing very well. Um, happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing in the space. Uh, you guys have given me so much information in uh, my Web3 adventures. So anything I can do to repay the favor by being on your podcast, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. It's great to have you. And we also have learned a lot from the way you think about, you know, crypto games and this thing. And this is a really good chance today to dive into, I think, one of the most interesting topics in the crypto game, which is, you know, a sustainable token economy not only for Web3 games, but even the new, new games that are entering the Web3 space. So we can, you know, give them some practical uh, insights. Uh, so I think before we start, maybe you can just tell us a bit about your motivation to start a crypto game. What made you start that? And we can just dive a bit deeper into the tokenomics topic. Sure thing. So um, let me take you guys back to 2016, which is when I first discovered Bitcoin, right? Um, it started off with trading and as you know, most people do, you will go down this rabbit hole of, of decentralization, the, the gold standard, endless money printing. And before you know it, you know, I'm convinced, and, and I was like 19 years old at the time, absolutely convinced that this is the future of technology. Um, so I started investing in 2017, made a lot of money, lost even more money in 2018, as a lot of people did. It's, it's kind of like a rite of passage, I guess. Um, but I never lost eye on the space. And, you know, in the middle of the bear market of 2018, when everyone was saying you know, crypto is dead, it was all a Ponzi scheme. I doubled down and I was still convinced because the, the fundamentals hadn't changed. Right. It's just people's outlook of the, the speculation changed. Um, and then uh, around 2020, I, I went into IT recruitment. I did that for a couple of years. And in 2021 is when I really started to uh, become really bored of the job that I was doing and, and looking for the next big thing in my life. And um, it would be the fact that one day I'm talking to to one of the developers that I was working with, and he mentions the concept of play-to-earn gaming. Um, and I, I'd never heard of that. I was like, oh, what, what the hell is play-to-earn gaming? Like, um, I knew about CryptoKitties. I, I played that back in the day. I understood NFTs. Uh, but this guy starts telling me about Axie Infinity and about how people are making a living wage now, playing these games. You know, you can get an ROI in, in seven days, blah, 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 blah. Sounded way too good to be true, but... I was instantly hooked, right? I'm a, I'm a massive gamer, been a gamer my whole life. I literally have a uh, Rocket League trophy here, right on my desk, right here. Um, love that game. So um, when I found out that this was a new thing, you know, combining blockchain with gaming, I had this feeling that this was my calling, you know, I had to go and explore this. Uh, and so explore I did. I spent about three months at the beginning of 2021 playing all of the, the crypto games of the time, you know, Axie Infinity, uh, Townstar, um, Crypto, uh, Cars, Baby Swap. There were so many weird games out there and all of them, you know, pretty much making money. Um, but I remember at the end of three months of, of experimentation and research, uh, looking back and thinking, well, that wasn't fun. Those games weren't fun. And, and everyone is so focused on this earning aspect and it seems like everybody's making money. So how the hell does this work? How, how does this make sense? Um, and that led me down another two months of a rabbit hole of uh, trying to understand the economics behind these games. And about halfway through 2021, I had come to the conclusion that 
it didn't work. And the, these were all Ponzi schemes. These were all massive bubbles that were set to pop. Um, and at this stage, I was talking to uh, my now co-founder, Raymo, who's a good, good friend of mine. And I was telling him about my research and that I saw this golden opportunity because uh, on the one hand, I'm uh, a massive believer in NFT-enabled gaming. I think that's the future. There are way too many benefits to ignore. But on the other hand, I realized that this first generation of play-to-earn games, they had it all wrong and they were all going to bust. And when they busted, there was going to be a next wave, a next generation of Web3 games, as I thought, that would kind of rise from the ashes and have sustainable e economies and all of that benefit, all those benefits that I thought would occur. Um, and because we felt like we were so soon to that, to that party and that realization, that's why we started Castle of Blackwater, one of the first projects at the time you know, screaming loudly about how broken the system was and how, how we were going to fix it. Um, and that, that kind of brings us to, to where we are today, one year later. That's amazing. I think that's also how it starts. I mean, you first maybe get intrigued by, okay, this is something that maybe I can learn a bit of something and, you know, and get some rewards. But you go to the rabbit hole of, you know, okay, there's a lot of possibilities that I can go into and, you know, learn. And it's not only about, as you said, the Ponzi scheme, it just, it just goes really, really deeper into that. But just if you want to keep like really keep things practical for maybe a fellow a game founder and imagine they're they don't know anything about blockchain they're just they have a really cool game and they want to enter for example a, a web3 game or the web3 space tokenomics is just one aspect of things that they need to worry about for example there is the lore of the game there's the gameplay there's game design there's all of that how important it is for the for that founder to you know figure out, okay, what are the things that I need to do about the tokenomics? Should I have it com completely figured out 100%, 80%, 50%? Uh, what are your thoughts about that as tokenomics relative to other aspects of the game? It's, it's a great question um, because I've spoken to many Web2 uh, game studios who are you know, dipping their toes in Web3, especially um, at the beginning of this year. Now, nowadays, many of them have taken a step back as they realize that it, it's more challenging than they would have thought. Um, but the mistake that many Web2 game studios made from my experience or from my understanding is that they really underestimated the challenge of Web3 gaming. Um, you have to imagine if you're a Web2 studio and you've been building great games for a very long time, it's easy to think that you know Web3 uh, integration is just a new kind of revenue model. But what they fail to realize is that when you open that Pandora's box of Web3, you are opening your game economy like you've never experienced before. And all of the gaming that has happened in the history of mankind, it has always been about value injectors. And I'm going to start using these terms, value injectors and value extractors throughout the, the conversation, because that's kind of how I simplify it. Um, and when I'm talking about value injectors, I'm talking about the, the Web2 gamers, the, the people who play games because they are fun and who are also willing to spend money inside that game in order to increase their perception of fun or increase their social status or whatever. And uh, for as long as gaming has been around, it's always been around attracting and persuading this value injector. That, that's what you build the game about because um, that is the nature of Web2. Value extraction in those kinds of games just was very difficult to achieve. It's, it's one of the disadvantages that we're trying to overcome, but it was also a, a safety net, right? Um, gold in RuneScape was quite difficult to sell on the black market. And sure, there was people who did it, but because it was so difficult, it was never really an, an, a, a large scale issue. Um, now that you open up this economy because of the, the Web3 application, you, you tokenize your assets and you allow people to cash out their earnings, you open the floodgates to a whole new type of player. 
And those are what I call the value extractors. Uh, some people know them as guilds and scholars, and they are what really ravaged that first generation of play-to-earn gaming. You now have these people who come to these games, not with the intention of having fun or, or passing time in a fun way. They treat it almost like a job, like a revenue model. They come purely to earn. And that kind of goes against what gaming is supposed to be in its core. But it's also one of the things that we have to accept when trying to balance Web3 gaming. And that challenge turned out to be more challenging than many expected, which is why the crash of Web3 game economies around the whole space recently has been so dramatic. Uh, one question I have related to this topic, um, it, it's interesting that you uh, categorize uh, the, the actors to value injectors and extractors. And uh, before this conversation, what I was always thinking uh, about value injectors uh, was actually the gaming studio that is creating value. Um, and now that we have... Uh, like a new group of people which are extractors i didn't have a name for the players uh maybe just players uh but uh, it's it's so interesting so one question i have is do you see uh like a third category which is actually the one that creates fun for uh you know the players and maybe opportunity for the value extractors um like the, the third category which like usually is the game um, developer, but for example, in the case of Sandbox, we have a group of people or a different actor, which is the one that creates the experiences. So they are the ones that make it actually fun for the players, and they are not the game developer. They are kind of a, like a third party, you know, a different kind of category. What do you think about that? Um, if, if we would go a lot deeper into the theory, there would be many more categories. And in our white paper, I have a graph, I was just pulling it up. Um, it goes all the way from liquidity providers, uh, venture capitals, you have your average speculators, you have farmers, you have guilds, you have people who play for socials, you have moderate players, you have casual gamers. So there are many different player profiles. Um, the reason I try to go uh, with the high level value injector or value extractor is because, um, and this is the simplest thing, econ econ economics is a zero sum game. So you're either injecting value or you're extracting value or you, you balance the two and you become neutral. Um, the uh, example that you mentioned uh, is, is correct in a sense, right? You have uh, these metaverses that pitch their idea of a creator economy. Um, it's quite funny because every uh, Web3 game seems to be going the direction of a creator economy because that's kind of like the long-term play uh, because people don't want to admit that the average game life cycle is only a couple of years. So why would you, know, you sell governance tokens to an investor when you know that the life cycle of that token success is only a couple of years? No, mm -hmm. everyone is trying to build this ecosystem that is ever growing uh, because that is the most attractive thing to pitch, right? Uh, but in a creator economy, yeah, you have people who create the experiences. Um, even in, in Castle of Blackwater, for example, we are also doing the same. We're creating mm -hmm. a social deduction metaverse where uh, in the very long term, we would like to invite players to become creators and create their own versions of social deduction games. In a sense, by doing so, they inject value because you know their time and efforts to create fun experiences is a way of value injection. On the other hand, they can participate in it with royalties and they can start earning from that, which would be a form of value extraction. So that category of player, using the analogy of injector or, or extractor, would be pretty balanced in between the two because he's injecting valuable time and effort, which is a resource. And in exchange, he's getting a monetary resource. Um, and that line of thinking is also how we try to create balance between 
value injectors and value extractors because uh, many scholars in Axie Infinity, the problem is they, they didn't inject any value. All they yep. did was play a game and then extract a token. So in Castle of Blackwater, we tried to find a way for this type of player, this extractor who comes to extract uh, monetary resources, we try to find a way for them to uh, monetize their time and to create some kind of palpable value through their level of play. But that's something we can dive into a little bit later. That's interesting. So is that correct to say that the idea is to kind of eliminate uh, the category that only extracts without injecting anything and kind of turn them into uh, something that you know creates value for the you know the ones that want to have just fun and you know uh, because of that because they are creating value for the people who want to have fun basically the the flow of funds is from i want to have fun i pay i i'm willing to spend my time and make it fun for the others so i i kind of make money is that correct to kind of let's say it's simplified to this flow what you're trying to achieve or is there other aspects I think you're definitely on the right path. And uh, it's very easy to relate this to the uh, mobile gaming freemium model, right? When you and I download a game like Clash of Clans and we never spend any money in it, we don't become the customer, we become the product. And because we are playing and the game will likely uh, favor the people playing in the matchmaking pool, as a non-paying player, we will have more challenging games. We are more likely to lose games. And in essence, we are sacrificing easy fun in exchange for free fun. So that's also one way in, in where that balance kind of occurs. And that, that's one of the ideas that we borrowed from when creating our economy. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know what is the game economy, then you are the game economy itself. So you need to really yes. understand yeah, what are the deep elements. And it also becomes like this concept that you mentioned. I mean, they started something with the Axie Infinity. It, it, it's really, I mean, it's a musical chair game that you know the people who know about it first or maybe like the i don't know guilds or something they get a discounted type of token then they're going to push the message and the later people that come in then you know the economy at some point collapses and the game is also not not that much fun so people don't have the you know the motivation to keep going um so i think what it comes down to maybe the demand supply is the something that probably describe this problem really easily. And it's really, really clear in a crypto game because suddenly it has value, this demand and supply. So for example, we need to bring enough people to, for the right reason, to be inside the game and then monetize it in the right way that they're gonna keep playing the game. So what are the best ways that we can, uh, you know, create that demand for the players to be inside the game that regardless if you have the potential to earn something or not, you're still going to stick with the game. Like, What are some of the ways that comes to your mind to kind of create this demand uh, for, the, for the players? Yeah, um, I mean, that there are many tips that I could give that we utilize, um, although I do have to say that it's, it's such a new problem. Nobody has solved the puzzle yet, so it's all just speculation for now. Um, the one thing that I can say with almost absolute certainty is that rule number one, your game has to be fun. If your game is not fun focused from the ground up, you won't ever be able to attract this kind of value injector profile because nobody's going to pay for a game that isn't fun um, or where the money that you spend increases that perception of fun, right? If that core psychology isn't there, then you're doomed from the beginning. Um, other things that you can think about and, and things that I also consider when uh, evaluating white papers and looking at sustainable economies, trying to find the gaps, 
is uh, I look at the, the token models, for example. Uh, personally, I'm a proponent of a dual token system uh, where one token is more like a governance token where you know you sell that token to investors, you hold that token as a founder. It's a token where you want the value to increase over time as it represents the value of your ecosystem. You want it to be almost deflationary. You want people to hold it and speculate on it. Um, but secondly, you also want a uh, fluid token that functions inside your ecosystem. It is a token that you would want people to spend as much as possible because most of Web3 gaming's earnings uh, or revenue models are based around taxation of you know, events, of tax taxable events. So the more that people are spending this token, the more volume there is, the more you are earning as a Web3 gaming company. Thereby, the second token in the model that I propose would be a utility token that is slightly inflationary, not overinflationary, but just slightly. Because when a token, and we know this from regular economics, when a token is slightly inflationary, people are more incentivized to spend that token to capture the value of the moment, rather than having that token be worth less you know, a week or two weeks from now. So I'm, in that sense, a fan of a two-token system. Um, Vesting schedules are also super important to look at when analyzing game economies, right? Um, I've seen projects that, you know, have supply uh, a token with a supply of 500 million, and then they put a, a one or a two year vesting schedule on there. And when you're talking about this demand supply cycle, right, which is also an analogy for value injection and, and value extraction, where injection is demand and extraction is supply. Um, if you have a vesting schedule of merely two years, you're basically saying that this entire token supply is going to be out there in the public in two years. And if your player growth and with that, your demand for that token doesn't grow at a, a similar rate, you're going to have token price go down, 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 down. So vesting schedules, um, if they're overly ambitious, and when I say overly ambitious, I mean they're very short, Um if you're not able to catch up to that with your player growth, you're going to have a problem in your economics. Um, yeah, those are those are three ways. Oh, an another really important one that I'm a fan of is percentage-based payout systems. Um, this is an idea that we borrowed from uh, liquidity pools, right? I was I was fascinated with liquidity pools when I first learned about them because they have this automated market system where you know you put two coin pairings against each other and depending on the supply of each of them and the demand the the conversion becomes more or less expensive i thought that was a fascinating model and i wondered why hasn't this uh, system been applied to web3 gaming so uh, we apply such a system to our economy right where we have a treasury where every game that happens we take a, a fraction of a percentage from that treasury to pay out those rewards uh, and that basically means that if we have too much value extraction that takes place, the treasury goes lower, uh, the payouts per game go lower, the price uh, inflates, and those kind of people start leaving the system. Um, but, you know, we can dive deeper into that. I don't want to keep ranting for, for 10 minutes straight. Yeah, no, that, that was an interesting one. Yeah. Um, so one question I have uh, for, for this topic uh, before we go to the next one. So I also personally understand the idea of with the current knowledge that everybody has and the ex experiments that uh, uh, you know people have run in this space, uh, dual model makes sense. You know, we have the investor one that captures value, and we have this other one which just makes it you know fun for people to to play around. Um, one question I have about the long term sustainability. This is naive because my knowledge is not you know like a, I, I don't. I'm not like an economic person, but when I look at uh, successful economies in the world, let's say like, you know, China, USA, you know, the, the big ones, there's only one currency. Uh, there's one, you know, let's say token. And uh, the, the idea is that 
um, there's no kind of, let's say, founding fathers didn't have a, like a portion of, you know, the U- U.S. dollars mm-hmm. in the beginning. It's an economy that everybody should contribute. And if, if the core team that is working on the game happens to be the one that, you know, creates the most of the value, they might be, you know, capturing a lot of that uh, token. So do you think in the longer term, um, because what, whatever we, we kind of do, um, the, let's say the investors at some point have to, uh, let's say, don't get any more value from the system because, you know, what, what they have done in the beginning was risking and kind of, let's say, investing. And they've invested, something has happened, and now they shouldn't be able to capture any more because, you know, uh, like it's, it's, it becomes a privilege rather than, the, you know, they're actually actively contributing to something. So do you think in the longer term, you know, when we think about like 10 years of a game, uh, it's going to be useful to have the t- dual system? Um, I'd like to tie in on your example of the governments, right? You say uh, governments only have a single token system, which is, you know, quite inflationary. I would argue that's a utility token. And, and they make that inflationary on purpose because the government doesn't want you to put your, your dollars in the bank. They want you to spend it because that's good for the economy. But consider a governance token in your analogy to be similar to bonds, right? Governments have bonds and a governance token could be like a bond because a bond represents the uh, security of the, the the country and the government and how stable their economy is. And when you buy a bond, you get interest on that bond, which can be similarly compared to staking, for example. So in the economy that I'm proposing, I'm saying the governance token is like a bond that represents the value and the success of the economy as a whole. And the utility token is the, the dollar, as you and I would know it. Okay, so one question, again, like my knowledge is very, very limited, but does that mean that this government, which is in this case would be maybe the DAO, maybe the original team, has the power over like a parameter which is equal to, let's say, the the rates that, uh, you know, the interest rates that you will mm-hmm. be able to always move to say that, okay, do we want, you know, more of the value to go towards the bonds or towards the, you know, the let's say, this, this uh, currency, the, this token. So do you, do you think that that kind of, let's say, um, a parameter should be always there and be able to control by, let's say, the DAO? I'm not saying that that specific parameter should be always there because, like I said, this is the model that I think works for us, but it, does, it wouldn't work for every project. Um, but I can say that it's always a good idea to build as many uh, economical levers into your system as possible, because the more levers you have, the more you can tweak. And just like in the real world economy, when the government tweaks with with interest rates, for example, um, or with the repo market, that is their way of influencing the economy for the long term. Um, so, for example, uh, having a conversion between this utility token and this governance token, where you can kind of tweak the percentage, or that might even be a percentage-based structure based on how each supply is going, having those kinds of uh, levers in the system and being able to, to pull the knobs as the economy you know, booms and busts or whatever, it will help you to stabilize and, and find that equilibrium easier. Um, you'll still likely have periods of, you know, high success, inflation and periods of deflation. It, it's just how most economies end up running because there is just so much speculation going on. But the more levers you build to give you control, the more control you will have to keep things uh, running. Absolutely. Um as long as we're on this topic and also the governance token, I wanted to put a question to both of you because you come from it from different perspectives. Governance tokens for a game to make it successful in the long run. 
is it just a wishful thinking that we can expect like a governance to you know hopefully make the economy sustainable or is it just you know there always has to be a centralized entity for example the founders or just a group of people that are going to make these economic decisions and the governance token is a is a nice thing to have but in reality actually none of the bigger projects have done it maybe so far so i really love to hear your thoughts about that um, yeah. Maybe, maybe the word governance token is, is kind of misleading, right? Just because you call it a governance token, it doesn't actually have to mean that it has governance. It's just, you know, a, a word that we use to describe, especially these days. Um, but basically, you know, every project is, is right to choose whichever system works for them. Um, I think a governance token, um, it, it kind of represents the Web3 version of what equity can be, right? Um, and I think in the beginning, uh, it also allows you to you know, sell something to VCs. And um, it's very important to distinguish the kind of game that you're investing in or that has this, this token system and whether they are proposing building an ecosystem of games, right? If you're a game studio, you, should have a, you could have a governance token representing your studio because your studio won't just push out a single game, it'll push out multiple games. So there is that possibility of endless growth. Um, if you are a, a single game and that's all you ever intend to be, then it makes less sense to have or invest in a governance token because, like I mentioned, the average game lifecycle is you know, between a couple months to maximum seven years if you're really lucky. Um, and if you're only going to build that one game and that governance token represents the value of that single game, then the chance of that governance token being long-term sustainable, they aren't very high. So it, that's why it's important to distinguish uh, what are they pitching? What is that long-term value? Uh, and is there an ecosystem to back up the long-term growth of the governance token that it represents? Yeah, exactly. Aram, do you have any thoughts about this one? Because I know you have cool ideas about governance and these things, and you are kind of, okay, should we believe in it? Should we, you know, make it centralized in the beginning and at some point in future, there could be the option to decentralize it? What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about the in incremental decentralization when we were uh, kind of thinking about this. Um, it, it kind of makes sense that uh, to me to, to start, it needs to be from like a single point. It needs to be like VCs that help, you know, someone who has the money who, who can kind of uh, uh, accept the risk uh, of making it happen. Um, but over time, uh, the kind of the, the question for me is, um, does it really make sense to have, um, you know, a, a group of people who the the only let's say influence they have is to uh, what can we do to increase the value of this token uh, without actually being inside that ecosystem? It's, it's like they are outside of the ecosystem, um, and kind of my question is, how about we design something that they dissolve over time? You know, they they. Initially, they did what they uh, thought is best. They're going to get the rewards of that, let's say, early investment, building the game. But kind of maybe maybe I can kind of change the question to, do you think over time, for example, Castle of Blackwater, right? After a couple of years, what would be the role of the original team? Uh, would it be, you know, creating more games? Would it be big exiting, you know, the system and kind of leaving it to continue uh, on its own? Or like, how, how do you see, you know, the the um, involvement of, let's say, the original team and, let's say, investors? Yeah, 
Um, so, like I mentioned, our, our long-term vision is to turn the castle of Blackwater into like a universe of, of Blackwater. Um, we're all about social deduction. Social deduction is, is a game genre, kind of like Among Us. That's the, the most known example, um, which is something that we haven't seen in Web3 yet. It's starting to pop up more now, which I think is really great. Um, but we want to be the leading metaverse of social deduction games. Just like how, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to go to a specific genre to play a game, you would go to a website, you would click categories, and you would have a bunch of games in that category. So in a future where all these, these metaverses are linked together, we would like to be that category of social deduction games, giving players, you know, the tooling, the infrastructure, the knowledge, so that they can build their, you know, law, their vision of a social deduction game using our tools, using our infrastructure in our metaverse. And in that sense, our ecosystem would be growing. Um, so Castle of Blackwater, the, the core social deduction game that we are creating right now is uh, an example of how we as a team would build a social deduction game. Over time, as the ecosystem grows, uh, part of our role would be to make sure that Castle of Blackwater stays fresh and stays fun. Um, we're even considering taking social deduction to a competitive level and doing social deduction esports which is something that's never been done before. But those kinds of things, they have to be managed. And there has to be some kind of a meta that evolves, right? Because we're a, a game based on characters. We can uh, introduce new characters, which changes the meta, which keeps things fresh and makes sure that players constantly have to keep playing in order to stay up to date with the skill level required to compete at the highest level. So that's one of our roles. Secondly, we would be a facilitator in our metaverse. And anybody who has this idea of a social deduction game can come to us and we can kind of build it with them. And uh, in the longer term, as we grow to this metaverse, once we've executed our initial vision, that's when we would be willing as a studio to also let go of the reins a little bit and start decentralizing the actual governance. And this is when the Castle of Blackwater governance token really starts coming into effect right? We, we didn't want to decentralize decision-making too early because we have a vision, we have a, a way of execution. And as a startup, if you uh, decentralize decision-making too soon, it muddies that vision that we're trying to execute. However, as soon as we've executed what we want to execute and it, it kind of stands, at that point, we can kind of start taking our hands off and saying, all right, we've built this game. We have this community. Now, if somebody wants to build a new social deduction game in our metaverse, let them submit a proposal and let everybody who has ownership in the governance of Castle of Blackwater Universe, let them decide if that's a good game to implement in our structure. And in that sense, being a shareholder, a governance token holder, you get ownership, you get a right of say in how the ecosystem evolves. And we become the contributors, the facilitators to make those shareholder dreams happen. And in that sense, the governance token both supplies the value of the ecosystem, but also gives you that control to make sure that value is optimized. So we're, we're decentralizing decision-making in that sense. Yeah, the value basically grows as, and it just started maybe with, with one use case, but just expands. And yeah, for example, the dual token system, I can really see the benefit of it because you know you can make a distinction. But a question is, I mean, this is a really powerful dynamic to, you know, have these tokens and be able to, you know, give people that, you know, sense of ownership and belonging and be able to then benefit the whole ecosystem as of if there's a treasury, there's going to be burning mechanism. So maybe my question is, should any interaction on any game, for example, there's, I don't know, resources, assets, there's gold, silver, there is all these things that we use inside the game. Should all these interactions be also converted to a token that potentially the game can benefit from 
providing liquidity pool or taking a percentage of the transaction fees and you know add it to the treasury should all these, these interactions be a token as well or that's a bit too um optimizing it uh, prematurely uh, what are your thoughts about that um there is a running debate right now about how much should be tokenized right when when web3 gaming or play to earn gaming as it was known first came out um people started tokenizing everything everything was an nft everything was an erc20 token and the more you tokenize the more you uh, open up the gates for extraction right but the more you also decentralize which is kind of part of that you know what web3 uh, brings to gaming um, so it's a tough balance and uh, I'm, I am seeing projects that have decided to not tokenize certain things. They will have a combination of a governance token representing the ecosystem and then an off-chain token that purely exists within the game. Um, many people are now saying that the future of Web3 Gaming is going to be a little bit more balanced where you do have that off-chain area of, of items and, and tokens and then that on-chain representation of value. Um, Personally, I find it more interesting and challenging to see how far we can push the boundaries of tokenization. So in our ecosystem, you know, more items and, and currencies will be tokenized because we see it as a personal challenge to tokenize and still remain sustainable. But it is a fact that the less you tokenize, the more off-chain stuff you have, the less decentralized you are, the easier it is to balance. So um, th there isn't yet one true solution, but I invite everyone to experiment and, and to come up with new ideas. It definitely needs to be experimented, but maybe the thing that I'm having a bit of a challenge if I wanted, for example, like experiment is, for example, if I convert my gold assets in the game to a token, then that's pro I need to take care of it. You know, it's not something that, or maybe there, there could be ways that I can, you know, hey, send your gold token. That was a mistake and we're going to, you know, reward you something. But yeah, the decisions are a bit harder compared to if it was an off-chain token and you don't have any responsibility basically for it. So yeah, it's, it's that balance uh, that you need to take care of. Yeah, it's a tough one because uh, people hail Web3 Gaming because you know one of the biggest advantages that is touted that all the time and effort and the value that you spend in a game, you kind of keep ownership of that. So all that gold that you've earned and bought, which represents your, your time uh, inputs, you could at one point sell that to cash in on your investment, if you will. Um, that is kind of the goal. That is the dream. However, we see that it's often exploited in a way that people aren't just you know, playing a game for a long lifetime and then cashing out their initial investment. They're treating it as an investment vehicle, doing the bare minimum and extracting the absolute maximum. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a much bigger challenge in, in a completely tokenized ecosystem. I believe it's more decentralized and it lines up more with that initial thought of what Web3 Gaming can bring to the gaming space. Um, but it, it's very possible that mo many of these experiments will fail and that we'll, we will end up finding a balance in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, so in this topic, uh, one of the things that people usually say is that, um, so we, we make like these um, uh, tokens, uh, you know, on, on chain or make these NFTs on chain. And the kind of the promise is that you are the true owners of it. And, you know, the, the company is not kind of controlling it uh, mm. or the original game is not controlling it. Now I, I see two patterns. One pattern, uh, which is really strange, really new uh, for everyone. Like we haven't thought about it like that, uh, which is something like loot something that you know all the loot wears and everything around it which is you know this idea of 
okay, we start from um, kind of um, the the units, the small units, rather than having like a team or a game or a vision, we start actually from the units, uh, the resources first, um, like the characters and all. And um, over time, uh, people might create stuff around it. And because there's no single vision, it's slow. It doesn't create something, you know, uh, really fast uh, and fun. Or like if you, if you go to like Lootverse and all the uh, games around around loot is not that kind of exciting compared to when, you know, there's a game, let's say like Illuvium, which is, you know, a team that is dedicated. They, they want to make it happen. They have a vision or, or like your game that, you know, you have a vision, you want to make it happen. So I, I see these two things a bit different because, uh, in, in this kind of model of, let's say, Illuvium and Castle of Blackwater, it's like we want to evolve from what we are today and add a bit of Web3 kind of components there, whatever makes sense. But this other line is completely reimagining how you think about, uh, you know, like the games and the metaverse and all those things. Uh, so one thing for me is when you promise that hey you have this nft and you can you know you are the true owners of it but what if you just stop you know developing the game or you basically shut down the website and the graphic side of it and okay i have the asset but it doesn't really mean anything why because at the core it was not designed like in a open system it was more like okay we are still that model that we are used to which is you know um, like these games that we know and we are just moving stuff on chain but does does that really mean anything uh, for you know people people who don't even know like what is a blockchain you know nor everyday people it's it's a very valid question um because in, in essence an nft uh, has part of its value based on its usability in, in, in gamification, right? Um, but it's highly possible. Imagine uh, we find out that a player is a hacker or a thief and they have stolen an NFT and we as a company can verify that somebody has a stolen NFT, that they're a bad actor. Um, is it then up to us as a company in a you know supposedly decentralized world to ban that NFT from being playable, which is within our power, right? It's just a couple of lines of code. You guys would know it. We just say, hey, this NFT ID is not able to be used in the game. Is that our responsibility to do so? I think it's more of a, a philosophical question than anything. Um, I think that the, the loot system, it's really cool, right? It, it's a lot slower to evolve, but what does evolve is more decentralized and more robust. And if a single game um, you know, bans an NFT or stops functioning, you can then take that NFT to another game. Um, so there is a more long-term stability in value. Um, in the end, it, it depends on the problems that you're trying to solve. I, I'm not here saying that uh, digital ownership will be 100% true ownership, where you know if we as a gaming company cease to exist, you will lose a, a part of utility of that NFT. Um, in a real game like FIFA, for example, you will lose that asset entirely. Right? You'll never be able to access it again. Um, in Web3 case, you could potentially still have a, like a historical value, nostalgic value. You could still trade and sell that NFT, even though we as a company don't exist anymore. Um, but I'm not here pitching that, uh, you know, our system is the most decentralized. I think uh, where we shine in decentralized ownership is that uh, you're allowed to sell this asset as long as we still exist and kind of recoup that investment. 
Um, if you look at Web2 gaming right now and, and World of Warcraft, people spend countless hours, thousands of dollars. Once you quit that game, that money is gone forever. We iterate with a solution where we say, hey, once you quit our game, uh, you can kind of recoup a part of that investment. However, you know, the next step, if we stop as a gaming company, well, it'll be tougher to find utility for your NFT. But that being said, and this is once again, the beauty of, of Web3 infrastructure kind of being uh, generalized and interoperable, even if we as a game company stop, it's highly possible for the community to kind of take over to create a new game and use our NFTs in that game. So it's kind of there. We're not 100% there, but there is more openness and possibilities than you have in Web2 now. So it, it's kind of a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally makes sense. I, I personally think like, Everything should be like that. All the assets should be tokenized. But um, in terms of the ultimate value, as you said, it's there, but it's not like uh, um, like magic that you know suddenly your asset always has value. No, it's it's a, definitely a better version, definitely a better version, but uh, it's not gonna solve all the problems. So everybody should do it, but it's not the, that like it's gonna solve everything. And hopefully once we get to um, much further in, in interoperability, right? I'm a big proponent of uh, interoperability because we're all building on similar infrastructure. Like whether you're a different game, you still have an NFT that we can recognize, that we can operate with. Um, and within the Fair Play Collective, which is you know a collection of Web3 gaming founders with similar ideology, we're always looking to increase interoperability as much as possible. And, you know, initially it will require manual um, uh, integrations where we will have to actively work together with a project to make sure that their NFTs have the same visual representation and functionality in our game. But I do think that over time, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, that is all going to be automated. I mean, look at what AI is doing nowadays. I think 20, 30 years from now, uh, NFTs that are functioning in our universe will be seamlessly able to be imported in any other metaverse and have a visual, visual and functional representation. So we're taking those small steps in the right direction, but full decentralization and that real true digital ownership and value retention, I think that's that's coming in the near future. Definitely. And I think it's even possible to do something that makes sense even in two years, in, in wow. uh, like a very, very short how, for example, I think the best example is an EIP system. So EIPs are not like um, standards in the sense of like W3C standard that mm -hmm. you know needs you know uh, only a certain number of people can work on them and publish them. But it's actually very simple stuff that we say, hey everyone, we want to have a, like an asset that has a unique identity. Let's call it ERC seven seven two one and call it an NFT and like these should be the functions. And maybe in, in your case, if, you, if you're saying, for example, uh, the social deduction game, right? That that's what, this is a new word I, I just learned today. If you say that that is a kind of a higher level category than your game, maybe you can have like a standard, let's say EIP model that says, hey, if you want to have built such a game, maybe your NFTs is good to have these metadata. And that's just a simple page that says, you want to do it anyway, so how about just use the same name, same function name, same metadata JSON that uh, like if somebody wants to play it in, in your ecosystem, you know, from our assets or the other way, they can do it. Do you think those things will be possible like uh, on a, a bit higher level than a, like an NFT, which is, you know, very universal, but like, like around the gaming context, like social deduction game, for example? 
I think the the true power of interoperability is not going to be in the uh, game systems. I think it's really going to come down to the smart contracts of the the ERC seven twenty one, and that's another beauty of working, you know, with Web three technology. It's constantly iterating. It's open source. Everyone keeps adding, and these EIPs that keep coming out, they they are fascinating, right? Um, one example that I can give is this company called Metamundo. I once heard a, a, a them speaking on a podcast. And what they were trying to do is uh, create this parent NFT, right? So they would take any uh, 3D image, like a CAD model, for example, they would turn that into a parent NFT, uh, they'd run it through a converter, and they would have a bunch of child NFTs in that kind of NFT package uh, that would be compatible with the large metaverses like Decentraland, like Sandbox, for example. So you have this one parent NFT, and you can take it into the Sandbox environment, and it would work and be functional, but you could then also take it to the Decentraland environment, and it would be work and be functional in that sense. So... I think that's kind of where we're going. Over time, the ERC-721, or maybe it's going to be a new type of NFT, there's going to be this new standardization of protocol where uh, when you create the NFT, it's not just a single flat image or an animated image as we know NFTs now, but it's going to be a collection of digital assets in 3D, 2D, with animations, with functionalities, so that when ever such an NFT is uploaded into whichever metaverse or game, it is automatically recognized because we're working in this, this standardized format uh, to be functional. And I think that's that's where the true power is going to be. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's just really technical, technical compatibility. Let's use the same... Um, you know, JSON metadata in, in our NFTs, even the current NFT 721, let's, you know, agree on a specific JSON metadata, a specific name. Because, for example, like from my understanding, like voxel characters, they can be rendered, you know, in a, in a format that is yeah. possible to work in all these metaverses. So how about we just use the same name? And therefore, when somebody wants to create, uh, you know, these characters, out of the box, it just works everywhere. And because it's permissionless, I don't need to ask for permission. Um, it's, it's much easier and faster if I want to play a game, uh, create a game, it's kind of like I can onboard millions of users or thousands of users from day one because everything they have already works with you know the game that I'm building. So we're almost there. It's just about, as you said, like these. Uh, so one of the questions I have maybe related to this uh, in, in fair play, do you have that idea or mandate for yourself to try to uh, create these standards you know, from small steps between the games that you're working with? I wish I wish we had the the time and resources to do such a thing. Um, when it comes down to it, most of the people who are active in the Fair Play Collective are the founders, and more often than not, the founders are not the actual technical people. They're more the strategic kind of overseers. Um, right now, the main problem that we're trying to solve is the economic sustainability, which is a whole issue by itself. Um, once we have that solved and we have these sustainable economies. We'll move on to the next issue, which will be interoperability. Um, for now, I think as a group of founders, we both lack the deep, hardcore technical expertise to go down that route, as well as we have our different priority, which we think is more important for the short term for the, the industry to be successful. But yes, in the future, I mean, we've we're always looking for ways to integrate our communities. Um, any project that allows NFT projects or, or law to be kind of onboarded. Um, into their project, we, we encourage it. 
Uh, we have, for example, uh, a game called 2112 uh, Run, which is a very much a storytelling cyberpunk kind of game. Um, and uh, their story kind of evolves and is shaped by the community. They are currently running a tournament of gameplay and whoever, whichever project, uh, every project sends representatives, right? And whichever project wins that tournament will get the opportunity of for their law to be kind of intertwined with the 2112 run law and to be some kind of connection between both worlds. And I think we're going to increasingly uh, be seeing that because you know Web3 is also about community building, community integrations, and the more we open our communities up to experience other experiences and communities, the more successful we will be as a collective. So that, that's something that we always promote, but that we'll dive deeper into when we get to that stage. That's really fascinating. It's, it's really, really exciting stuff. Uh, and uh, th this is the right way of going about it. So I'm, I'm really happy you know, that uh, you guys are fully focused on it. And, and I also believe that you, you, you can def definitely deliver because... Um, when I read the fight, uh, white paper of uh, Castle of Blackwater, uh, you went into you know all the important aspects that uh, a game really needs. You know, your goal is not to quickly cash out on the hype, which is uh, yeah, yeah, really, really uh, appreciated. Yeah, and it's it's uh, a process that took a long time, right? The first white paper was written over a year ago, the first version, and we're very much an agile and iterative uh, company. We, we don't think that we ever have it right the first time. We're very much about, you know, uh, creating a prototype MVP, just pushing something out, showing it to people, getting feedback. And, and that's how we kind of went about it initially. Um, the first version of the economics was the hardest because you start from scratch. Uh, but what really helped is when one of our uh, economic advisors who came from the DeFi world, he said, rather than trying to solve the problem from day one, how about you analyze core values that you stand behind um, and kind of economic factors that you want to consider and then go from there. Uh, and at that point, we wrote down seven uh, lines, seven sentences, like uh, the game has to be fun. Uh, people have to be able to buy fun. Like those were core principles that we wanted to stand by. And we still show those in our pitch deck. So they're still out there. Um, and that made it a lot simpler to kind of iterate and build our economy on those principles. And then when we had a first version of our economy, I would go into calls with game economists and I would be like, hey, this is our model. What do you think? Where are the holes? And then they'd be like, oh, well, that kind of works, but this doesn't work because you didn't consider this. Like um, in the beginning, I thought value injection was the, the, the puzzle to solve. I thought as long as you can get Web2 gamers in your ecosystem and you can get them to spend money, you've basically solved the issue. Um, it wasn't until I put the model to the test with these economists that they made me realize that you can build a fun game, you can get all the value injection that you want, but if you're not actively limiting the amount of value extraction that can take place, you're still going to lose in the long term, right? Because if people from uh, underdeveloped countries can come and grind your game 24-7 and be guaranteed a consistent payout, they will do so. So you have to find ways to limit that. And that led to the next iteration of the model and the next one. Uh, and now we've come to a point where I have yet to find people who can shoot holes that we haven't considered. Um, so now we're at a stage where we just have to test it in a real world setting. Absolutely. I think you guys have definitely the right mindset, the right formula. We're going to be sharing the white paper of Black um, Castle Blackwater in the links for everyone who's interested in checking it out. But I'm thinking that, you know, the formula you have is like, create the right demand for players and then make sure that it's monetized in the right way. So, you know, limiting the value extractors, making sure the value injection is happening the right way. 
And for example, a game like, I mean, I don't wanna, I'm not really deeply engaged with the, for example, Axie Infinity, but on the surface, it looks like a, you know, ROI seeking type of game. So no matter how you kind of work around it, at the end, economy is gonna collapse if that's all you care about, ROI. Even the burning mechanism that you have inside the game is gonna be working. For example, you're gonna get a token that's still expected a higher ROI. It's not about, you know, creating a fun game that is, you know, can survive without all of those things. Um, so maybe to just wrap the conversation up, we have talked about a lot, a lot about tokens, but not so much about NFTs. Uh, Jojo, what are your thoughts about you know using NFTs for the gameplay, for the tokenomics? How does it work with the game that you guys are building? Um, so that once again depends on on the kind of economy that you're trying to create. Um, we mentioned earlier how you can tokenize everything. And when I say tokenize, I also mean that you can turn something into an NFT because, as you know, that's also a token. Um, I have seen games that try to balance economies um, without currencies by only using uh, NFTs as as a tokenization, where people earn these NFTs, which they can then decide to use or they can then decide to sell. Um, Personally, I think uh, uh, tokenizing the NFTs and the cosmetics and the items, it works just because it allows for that uh, taxation revenue model, which I think is very Web3 oriented. And it opens the door for that interoperability discussion that, that me and Aram just had as well. Um, as soon as you off-chain you know, cosmetics and items and you don't allow players to turn that on-chain, you go closer to that centralized model that Web2 gaming is now. And especially in this kind of phase two, generation two, I think it's still interesting and important to push the boundaries of what we can achieve in being as Web3 and decentralized focused as possible. Um, it's possible that the experiments that we run now, they, they end up not working and we all revert back to you know an, an off-chain economy where we're just using cosmetics instead of NFTs. But I would like to think that there is a solution out there and I'm not, I'm not saying it's 100% our solution. I mean, we're a contender, but it could be anyone. I think there is a solution out there that will uh, create a balanced, sustainable, scalable, self-balancing economy um, with all of the Web3 features and tools. The real crux becomes finding uh, value for that value extractor, letting them uh, extract monetary value, but giving them purpose in the game and giving them um you know another resource you know whether it's time or whether it's you know sacrificing their fun perception so that other people can have more fun perception it's about finding that purpose for the value extractors in exchange for the value they extract i think that's that's the challenge at least that we're trying to solve yeah it just comes down to a balancing point probably if you experiment enough um so for example like i'm thinking for a founder that is listening to our podcast and they want to just get into the web3 space maybe a suggestion i would personally have is maybe digital asset ownership using these nfts without going into like these dual token it's just a lot of things that you might want to take care of maybe even giving some of these nfts for free so your users can use these nfts inside the game that could be maybe a good starting point and then you can experiment with these different ways of making sure you have the right tokens, you're creating the right value, and you're limiting the amount of value that those you know, extractors can take out of the whole ecosystem. Yeah, um, I think, and I'd like to also tie that in with uh, the proof of work system, right? Um, now that Ethereum has gone to proof of stake, I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts from Bitcoin maximalists, and I'm almost increasingly becoming a maximalist myself. Uh, I have my doubts about staking because 
the whole point of proof of work is that you expect extend something uh, that is like a power, an activity, energy, or whatever, and in exchange you get a token. It is it is absolute power. And when you go to staking, you're then talking about abstract power, and and it includes more trust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, it's possible, Kasra, like you say, that a functioning system is one where um, you can only earn, you know, NFTs from spending time because that was also kind of like a proof of work system, right? You're investing time and energy and in exchange you're getting this, this NFT. Um, but then it becomes about finding the right utilities and, and making sure that people aren't just selling these NFTs to cash out. So there's a lot that comes to it. Um, there is one, not one single true solution that fits all. Um, one final thing that I want to mention, um, about our ecosystem, right? Because, um, I mentioned that the, the, the challenge becomes about finding purpose for the value extractor. And I want to give you guys an example of how we're doing this. Um, if you guys know gaming, right? Uh, you, uh, have you played games yourself like World of Warcraft or League of Legends, any, any role-based game? Um, having played a lot of Dota 2 and Overwatch, um, I always find that the player base has, uh, over time, they evolve into having a preference for a certain playstyle, a certain character. And this comes to fun perception, right? The majority of the player base wants to play the mages, the damage dealers, and the minority are willing to play the tanks and the healers. And what we're doing is we're, we're monetizing that psychology. And we're saying like, hey, if you're a scholar, if you're coming to our game to earn, then you will be stuck playing the tanks and the healers every game. Uh, you'll get a more consistent payout, but you know, arguably, unless that happens to be your favorite hero, you'll have arguably less fun. The value injectors, the, the Web2 players, they will get to play the mages and the carries every single game. They'll have the most fun out of everyone, but they will pay for that privilege. And that is just a, a small example of how you can find purpose for value extraction. Yes, exactly that example that you need to have as a, you know, when you're designing these things, because it shouldn't be only about some tokens, some NFTs, exactly understanding how your players are playing and then, you know, just taking advantage of blockchain. So I think that's, that's the right way to think about it. I think this has been great. And maybe the summary is there's no silver bullets, but you need to have like the right mindset and making sure you understand these things deeply. Um, Jojo, any, any final thoughts you have uh, to what you'd like to share with us? Yeah, any, any Web3 gaming founder or any founder that is looking to get into the Web3 gaming and, and trying to balance their economies, start with the principles. Start writing down what is important to me uh, before you start designing any kind of token systems. Um, make sure to utilize the power of the liquidity pools, understand how liquidity pools work and the percentage-based systems. I think, I personally think that's one of the big solutions in this problem that not everyone has discovered yet. Um, make sure to create a fun-focused game that attracts value injectors. And once you have those value injectors, create many different revenue streams and persuade them to inject as much value as possible. And finally, limit that value extraction. Hard-coded systems use something like energy or tickets, a time-based system. Uh, maybe uh, the longer you play, the less you can earn. Some kind of system that makes sure that nobody can just grind it 24-7. Um, I think that's a very good place to start. Great stuff. Uh, Aram, any final thoughts? Um, no, I, I think uh, Jojo is uh, like full of wisdom and yeah, I, I love listening to him. So yeah, for, for the gaming, I, I don't have anything to add. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. This has been great, guys. Thanks for tuning yeah, in. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and any uh, Web3 gaming founders that want to tell me about their project, feel free to reach out. Come Definitely. on, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank yeah. you. Have Bye. a good day. Bye.